Good morning, everybody. My name is Britt, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Reality. Look at y'all waving your bulletins. It's hot out, huh? You're going to get sunburned today. You just might as well be cool with it. You're going to get sunburned. That's all right. It's carpentry. It's a good thing. Listen, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting, we welcome you. Reality family, welcome the people that are here visiting. We're very glad that you're here. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus Christ. That should not surprise you. It is Easter after all. So I don't know what somebody told you to get you here, but the truth is we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Pastor G read earlier from the Bible in Matthew 28. I want to back up to chapter 27 a little bit and just read a few verses. A little vignette from Jesus just before he gave up his spirit on the cross. Just when he did, it says in verse 50 of Matthew 27, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So we're picking it up here at the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And then it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Check this out. <clears throat> and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after Christ's resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Something happened on that day. Something astounding happened that day. But what was even more amazing is what took place three days later. And then we pick it up in Matthew 28, and Pastor G read some of this. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Don't be afraid, because I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Something astounding happened that day. Something so radical that it's changed all of history. It's even the changed the way that we reckon time. You understand that before the life and the work of Jesus, time was understood as B.C., I know that many uh, academics and popular society has cha have changed it to BCE, but they're just trying to cover up what BC means. BC means before Christ. All of time was reckoned before Christ came, and then once he came, it is anio, whatever it is, it's a Latin thing, the year of our Lord, A.D., all of the way that we reckon time changed because of the life and the work of Jesus Christ. Something radical happened this day. We're told that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross that the sky went black for three hours. There was this mighty earthquake. Those who crucified him, those who put the nails through his hands said, Oh, wow, this was definitely the Son of God. They began to understand that something was taking place that never took place before. And then at the resurrection... The angel that rolled away the stone, sitting there, his appearance like lightning. 
the earthquake again, the women and him saying that Jesus had risen. You see, what happened was that the possibility, the dream of new life became a reality. The possibility and the dream of new life became a reality because there were people who were wanting something more. There were people living at that time who were oppressed and depressed and in difficult circumstances. And the dream, the possibility of new life became a reality. And the proof of the possibility of life after death was displayed. The proof of the possibility of life after death was displayed. And the identity of one, capital O there, the identity of one that could give us new life and a second chance was revealed once and for all. Because the Bible says this, that Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. Now, we hear this with our modern ears, and it seems strange to us. A resurrection? I mean, really? Did it really take place? It's hard for us to comprehend because most of us have never seen a resurrection. Has anybody ever seen a resurrection? Raise your hand if you ever witnessed a resurrection. Nobody's ever seen a resurrection, so it's hard for us to get through our minds how that could be. But imagine if you were trying to explain something as common as an iPhone to people that lived 100 years ago. Imagine rolling up on someone 100 years ago and saying, oh yeah, one day we'll have a phone. A what? A phone, and, and we'll be able to send faxes over this phone. Send what? And we'll be able to send text messages. Do what? We'll be able to surf the web. Do what to what? We'll be able to take pictures and send pictures. Do what to who? Where? What are you talking about? There'll be messages on the other side of the world that'll bounce through space on little satellites and come to me wherever I am and I could see whatever is happening anywhere in the world through this little device in my pocket. People would think you were insane. But it's just a stupid iPhone. We all have them, don't we? Oh, it's just me. Okay, praise the Lord. Those people would think it insanity. They couldn't imagine it because they'd never seen it. We've never witnessed a resurrection. But the fact that you're here means he was risen. The fact that you're here means that he was risen. We know for sure that Jesus died a horrific death on the cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. Really, it was just the beginning. Because he rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father in heaven. And having completed the work of salvation for humanity, he then sent certain people to tell the rest of the world. That's the beginning of the church. He sent different people to tell the rest of the world. And we are also supposed to tell the world that Jesus is coming again. The first time he came as a suffering servant to give his life as a ransom for many. The next time the Bible says that he's coming to judge the earth. So the objective is to let many people, let as many people as possible know that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that he's risen from the dead, and so he's conquered sin and death and the devil, and that we can have forgiveness of sins and brand new life before death or he comes again, whichever one happens first. That's the message. And this message has been met with opposition all around the world. You guys have heard of the disciples. You heard of them, right? Matthew and John and James and all these cats. You've heard of them. Did you know that 11 of 12 of them were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ? 
This message has been met with opposition. Eleven out of twelve were murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were murdered for what they were saying. Now listen. What they were saying was that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. That's what got them in trouble. They didn't get in trouble simply for proclaiming what Jesus taught. It wasn't the teachings of Jesus that were so controversial. It was his resurrection from the dead. And they weren't going about merely speaking about what Jesus said. They were going around speaking about him. It wasn't merely the message. It was the man, the God-man, God draped in humanity, Jesus Christ. This message is what cost these messengers their life. Because you see, teachings could be argued. Teachings could be discussed. Teachings could be debated back and forth. But a risen Lord, that's something that people had to deal with. That's something that the world had never seen before. And if that happened, then listen to me, if that happened, then Jesus demands our attention. If he rose from the dead, like the Bible says he did, if he rose from the dead, then he demands our attention. And a lot of so-called Christians are in a world of trouble because they call themselves by the name of Christ, but they don't really recognize that he's a risen Christ. How do we know they don't recognize that? Because they haven't given him their attention. If he is really risen from the dead, then he demands our attention. A lot of people that wouldn't call themselves Christians have to seriously think about that possibility. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It changed all of time. We're here today because it's a historical fact. And if that's true, then he demands our attention. Easter isn't about anybody else. And there are no other Easter's. Nobody else in history ever offered to do what Jesus Christ has done. And it's based on Christianity, historical events. You see, Buddhism is based on the teachings of a man named Buddha. Islam is based on the teachings of a man named Muhammad. Confucia taught certain things. Evolution is based on the teachings of a man called Darwin. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and so Christianity is based upon a historical reality of the man, the God-man, God-draped in humanity, Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. Because teachings and philosophies can be debated, but Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What does it mean that he rose from the dead? What does that mean for you and I here today? Why are we sitting in the sun, sweating so horribly? What does it mean? Well, before we can answer that question, we need to answer this question. Why did Jesus come in the first place anyway? He answered that in Luke chapter 19. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save. I want you to notice those two words. Seek and save. Jesus came looking for humanity. And Jesus is looking for many of you today. He came to seek. That denotes passion. It wasn't a lackadaisical thing. It was purposeful. It was passionate. Jesus was engaged in a passionate pursuit for humanity. And he is engaged in a passionate pursuit for humanity. Have you ever pursued anybody passionately? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? My wife and I, we've been married 10 years. And uh, before we first hooked up, she pursued me, I'm proud to say. (laughs) But it didn't take very long. I went pretty quick. I mean, it was like a day that she was pursuing me. And we were together for a little while. We were together for a couple years. And then 
I did the bonehead man thing. Let me, any men in the house, let me say, I did the bonehead man thing. Sometimes the man begins to think that the grass might be greener somewhere else. I'm confessing before you, I was an idiot. I had a good woman and I broke up with her. We were broken up for about seven months. We'd been together for two years. We were broken up for about seven months. And during that seven months, I, I went to go find that greener grass. I, find out, I found out there was no greener grass in all the land than the woman God had provided for me. And so after seven months, I said, well, this didn't work out. I'm going to go get her back. And so I invited her out to lunch one day. Hadn't talked to her in months. Invited her out to lunch one day, sat her down out on the pier in Santa Barbara at Moby Dick's there and said, you know, Kate, uh, gosh, I really think I made a mistake and I, you know, I don't, this isn't working out. I really think we're supposed to be together and can we get back together? And she's like, no. <laughs> I would still remember when she pursued me. And I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to make her day. You know what I mean? Can we get back together? No. Uh, what do you mean, no? I mean, never no. Never no? What do you mean, never no? I mean, never no. I want nothing to do with you. I'm over you. I'm done with you. Oh. My heart broke a million times. And I began to engage in the most passionate pursuit of my life. There was nothing I wouldn't do to get this woman back. There was no distance I wouldn't go. There was nobody I wouldn't beat up. There was nothing I wouldn't say. There was nothing I wouldn't do to get this woman back. And it took me about six months to get her back. And it was the most passionate pursuit of my life. Yeah, amen. Thank you. I'm here to tell you, brothers, the grass is not greener. That's the devil speaking. You got a little piece of green grass, you cherish that thing. She's beautiful. It was the most passionate pursuit of my life. Did everything that I could. Listen to me. God has done everything that he can in the person of Jesus Christ to get you. He's done everything that he possibly can in the person of Jesus Christ to win you. You see, when he says he came to seek and to save, he's speaking about the fact that humanity was lost. But in what way was humanity lost? And in what way do we need to be saved? Understand this. God created you and I. That's what the Bible declares and that's what I believe. God created you and I to have a meaningful relationship with Him. That is why we exist. That is the meaning of life. You hear so many people talking about what's the meaning of life? Why are we here? What does it all mean? Is this all that there is? The meaning of life is that you were created to know God, to be known by God, to experience God's love. And it's only in that that everything begins to make sense. Have you ever noticed or did you ever notice at some time in your life that something was missing? Did you ever notice that something was missing? Anybody ever heard of John Mayer? John Mayer. I like John Mayer. He's a modern artist. He's good. John Mayer wrote a song about it. You probably heard it on the radio. A whole song about something's missing. Here's one of the biggest pop stars in America today. And here's the first chorus of the song. He says, I'm not alone, but I wish I was. Because then I'd know that I was down because I couldn't find a friend around. For some reason, he's depressed, but there's people around. He wishes that nobody was there because then he would have a reason for being depressed. But he's surrounded with people. He doesn't know why he feels this way. The next verse says this. 
I'm dizzy from the shopping malls. I searched for my joy, but I returned it all. It doesn't help the hunger pain and a thirst I'd have to drown first to ever satiate. He's saying that there's some insatiable thirst with him, so within him, some hunger pain inside of him, and he can't get to what it is. And so the chorus is this. Something's missing and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing and I don't know what it is at all. Something was missing. He's got a great career. He's got all the money. He's got all the fame. He's got all these things. And he's declaring that something is missing and I can't quite put my finger on it. I'll tell you what is missing. It is the relationship with God for which you're created to have. That is what is missing in humanity. We were made to have this relationship. But what got in the way of that, that original intent by God, is something called sin. God created man, placed him in the garden, and God engaged in relationship. And what man did because of mistrust, because of fear, because of rebellion, is man sinned against God, and that relationship was now broken because God is a holy God. And he told them, don't sin. Man sinned, man did wrong, man rebelled against God. In that intimacy, that relationship was broken. And now humanity, from God's perspective, was considered lost. And here's the beautiful point about it. This was an unacceptable situation for God. Have you ever lost something that was very precious to you? It might not be that big of a deal when we're adults. You know, my wife last year down at Jelly Bowl, we were uh, on the beach in the summertime, and she took off her engagement ring that I bought her with a little tiny diamond, little tiny speck, because that's all I could afford. She took off her engagement ring and she put it in the beach chair while she went out surfing because she didn't want to lose it. And the tide came up high and I grabbed the beach chair and ran up the beach to put it where some sand was. There went the ring. Ooh, hell hath no fury. Like a woman that lost her engagement ring at Jelly Bowl. My daughter Daisy Love, she's three years old. And she recently lost her boo-boo bear. You have never... Anybody got a three-year-old in the house or something close? When a three-year-old loses the boo-boo bear, now you know the boo-boo bear is in the house and it sends you into a frenzied panic to find boo-boo bear. When she lost boo-boo bear, you've never seen such anguish, such fury, such misery, such heartbreak as when a three-year-old girl loses the boo-boo bear. My son Isaiah... He had a little treasure box that he got in a, in a box of Raisin Bran. And we went down to the beach. We were vacationing down at the beach uh, uh, about a month ago. And we were staying at the beach for about a week. And he buried it in the sand. Why? Because it's pirate's treasure. <laughs> you bury it in the sand. He thought he'd just bury it there all week and it'd be fine. Well, it came the end of the week and it was time to leave. We're going home. Vacation is over. And this child came unglued. Anybody have a seven-year-old? This child came absolutely unglued. Pieces falling off his body. Anguish, sorrow, gnashing of teeth, weeping. Because his pirate's treasure was lost. It's exactly how God feels about humanity. And not one iota less. That's exactly how God feels about you and I. Because he has never created anything more precious than humanity. The Bible says that we are his masterpiece. We're his children. The Bible says that he formed each one of you in your mother's womb and that you're precious to him. In fact, he's numbered the hairs upon your head. 
So precious is humanity that Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he wept. So the Bible says. He wept over lost humanity. And what happened when sin came in is that death came in. Now you need to understand something about death. Death is not what God intended. As soon as sin came in, death entered in. In fact, we know that from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that for the first time, the man and the woman in the garden who were naked and cool with it, it's awesome, they were naked and they were cool with it after they sinned and rebelled against God, they were ashamed of themselves and they wanted to cover themselves. Everything had changed. Their perception had changed. Innocence was lost. And what did God do? We're told in Genesis 3.21 that God made coverings for them out of the skins of an animal. Immediately when sin came in, death came in, God had to kill an animal to make a covering for those who had sinned. And humanity began to learn the concept of the innocent dying for the guilty. And every culture, every humanity has had an inkling of this in their heart. Somehow an innate understanding that someone who is innocent can possibly die on my behalf. Or it's sometimes translated this, I know I'm guilty, but if I do enough good, perhaps I can regain innocence. If I do enough right things, maybe the right things will outweigh the bad things. Or if I give enough of these things, then maybe God will be okay and I can regain innocence. I can become acceptable once again. But the lesson was taught that when sin comes, Death comes. The Bible says this. It says that the wages of sin is death. Or what sin earns humanity is death. Both death in this life is how sin came. And eternal death, which is called separation from God, a place called hell. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So there was a problem, there was a loss, there was sin, there came death, but God gave Jesus Christ to restore us to life because, this may come as a shock, we were not made to die. Did you know that? You were made to live. That's why death is so difficult for us. That's why we can barely handle it. That's why it sends us into such trauma is because it's not what God intended. You were not made to die. You were made to live. Therefore, death is not natural. We all die, but it's not natural in the sense that God didn't intend it. It's a result of the sin of humanity and all the destruction that we see around the world is a result of the rebellion of man against God. We're so quick to blame God, aren't we? It's the first thing that we do. Those people in Africa, God, why don't you do something about it? Those people in China, God, why don't you do something about it? Those people in Sudan, God, why aren't you doing something about it? That situation that happened in New York, God, where were you? We're so quick to blame God. And the last place we look is at us. But the Bible teaches that sin and destruction are the results of the rebellion of man. And so is death. The Bible says that death is an enemy. Do you get that? The Bible says that death is an enemy. It's not meant to be. I don't know about you, but I've seen enough of it. I'm sick of it. A member of my staff had someone in his family die this week. A very loved member of this community, Bill Cooper, died just a few days ago. I've had enough of it. 
I don't like it. The Bible calls it an enemy. It's not meant to be. But you see, Bill Cooper, by the way, would have been his birthday today, Bill Cooper. Bill Cooper is with the Lord. And that's not just a stupid platitude. I know we say that all the time. He's in a better place, but wait a minute. On what do you base that? I can say with all confidence because I knew the man that Bill Cooper is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I base that on. I base that on the words of Jesus Christ himself. He said this in the Gospel of John. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Did you catch that? He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus said, do you believe this? Jesus said that there is life even when we die through belief in him. And he asked the audience, do you believe this? In just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to answer that question. Because remember, we're not just talking about the teachings of a man. We're talking about the reality of a man. We're talking about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And if he rose from the dead, you can't ignore him. He's seeking after you. If he's really risen and he lives, then you've got to deal with him. He said he came to seek and to save. Save from what? Save from separation. Save to what? Save to a relationship. He came to save us from that broken relationship, that separation, an eternal separation, which is called hell, to a relationship in this lifetime and the promise of heaven in the life to come. And this is why Jesus Christ came. He came to bring life where there was previously death. He came to bring life where there was previously death. He came to restore us to the place where we're supposed to be. And he did this not only through his cross, but through his resurrection from the dead. And listen, because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, he is victorious over sin. When I say victorious, I mean that he conquered it and he removed ultimate power from it. And if he is victorious over sin through his resurrection, then he is victorious over death. Because death comes as a result of sin. He conquered sin on the cross and through the resurrection. Therefore, he has conquered death. And if he has conquered sin and death, then Jesus Christ has conquered the devil. Amen. The Bible says this, Jesus became flesh and blood that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Did you notice that? The devil wants to keep us in a place of slavery. He wants to keep us bound up in fear. He wants to keep us bound up in addiction. He wants us to stay in broken relationships. He wants us to stay in bitterness. He wants us to stay in anger. He wants us to never be healed over that thing that was done against us. He wants us to be oppressed and depressed. He wants us to experience death even in this life. But Jesus came to give life. And to do it, he had to conquer sin. He did it by paying the price on the cross. And when he did that, he conquered death by rising through the dead. And the fact that he lives means that he is the Lord. And so he has conquered the devil. 
And so the Bible says this now about death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory and he's victorious over sin and death. The Bible says this. Amen. The Bible says this. For Jesus has delivered us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says that the state of all humanity because of our rebellion is that we are in the authority of darkness. We've submitted ourselves to the authority, to the realm, to the working, to the destruction of the devil. But there is one who came seeking. There is one who came to save, and that's Jesus Christ. And through his resurrection from the dead, why we are here, in his resurrection, he has proven to be victorious over that. And so here's the possibility. We can be transferred from the domain of darkness into his kingdom. And when we're transferred, when we're delivered, we get a new address. And when we're transferred, when we're delivered, we get a second chance on life. When we're transferred, when we're delivered, we get what Jesus came to give, brand new life. The old things pass away and all things become brand new in the person of Jesus Christ. And so here's what happens. Fear is removed. Shame is removed. Condemnation is dealt with. Oppression is pushed back. Chains are broken. Addiction is done away with. Bitterness is healed. Distortions of reality are set right. Anger is released from our lives. All of these things through the life of Jesus Christ. And we experience new life. Peace that we never knew. Joy in spite of difficulties. Freedom that transcends circumstances confidence that in the end because of our identity with Jesus Christ and our accepting what he did upon the cross that in the end we will be accepted we will be received having been forgiven having been promised heaven we will be loved by God for all of eternity and that is why we created Jesus came to set everything right amen And it's not fair that it's gotten a bad rap. It's not fair that so many have been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. He came to give life because he is a compassionate God. The Bible says that God waits on high to have compassion on those who are weighed down with guilt. If you don't know you're guilty, you have another problem. Maybe we need to schedule an appointment. Maybe this time's not enough. If you don't know you're guilty of doing wrong things, you have another issue. It's called pride. You know who else had a pride problem? His name was Lucifer. The Bible says that Lucifer, now known as Satan, the devil, fell from glory, was removed from heaven because of his pride. Humble yourselves before a mighty God. We are all sinners. I'm the biggest of all. I'm six foot six, ladies and gentlemen. We are all sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came to give new life where death was deserved. And this is a wonderful act of kindness. You see, my sin didn't obligate God to do anything about it. 
When humanity sinned, God wasn't obligated. God could have said, oh, well, we tried. That was fun for a little bit. But it's not like that. You see, you're his treasure box. You're his boo-boo bear. And he's seeking. And he wants to recover. And that's why Jesus came. And he's been drawing you all of his life by his kindness. And the Bible says, don't take the kindness of God lightly. You see, humanity thinks they're getting away with something. Because they do bad things and they do whatever they want to do. And they just ignore God and they get away with it. And so they think, well, there must be no God. I'm getting away with it. The Bible says you're mistaken. What that is, is a kindness of God. It's the kindness of God that he does not deal out immediate retribution for our acts. But I have to tell you, I'm obligated to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, that he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's not coming to give his life for the sins of the world. He's coming to judge the world this time. He's done everything that he can to recover us, God has. There's nothing more that he could do than to drape himself in humanity, to be born of a virgin, to be beat, mocked, spit upon by men, nailed to the cross, rise from the dead, and send people to proclaim this message. There's nothing more that he could do. There's nothing more that he could do. He's coming again, though, to judge. And so this lifetime is the time to say, Thank you, God. Thank you for what you did for me, Jesus Christ. I accept what you did upon the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, to give me new life and a new chance and to break my shame and my condemnation and my guilt and bring me into a love relationship. I finish with this. I remind you of what Jesus said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he said, do you believe this? Ladies and gentlemen, you have to do something with this information. It's too wonderful. It's too glorious. It's too good what God has done and what God is offering you. Jesus pressed for a decision. He said, you're either for me or you're against me. He didn't allow for any middle ground. He didn't allow for the, oh, it's good for you statement. He didn't allow for that. He said, you're either for me or against me. I've risen from the dead. I'm the risen God of the universe. You must deal with me. Ladies and gentlemen, you must make a decision today. And I say this in all sobriety and all humility. None of us is promised tomorrow. None of us is. I've been around enough death to know that it often comes very suddenly. And the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once and then judgment comes. You will either stand in this lifetime and say, Jesus, I accept what you did for me upon the cross. I ask you to save me according to that. I believe that you rose from the dead to give me new life. You either say that in this lifetime, or once you die, you stand before him in judgment, and he will be very fair about everything you've ever done. But I need to let you know, he doesn't have the same standard as us. We're perverted. We're broken. He's perfect. He's holy. Jesus paid the price for you upon the cross. I'm going to give you a chance now to respond. I'm going to ask you to do something bold, crazy bold. Oh my goodness, it's so crazy. 
If you realize that this message is for you, if you realize that Jesus Christ rose from the dead to give you new life today, I'm going to ask you when we start playing the song in a minute to get up out of your seat and to come forward. And you'll meet me up here, and then once we're all here together, I'll lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's very bold, but Jesus Christ died a public death. And he rose from the dead publicly to give us new life. We cannot be ashamed of him. By the way, everybody here is for you and not against you. And so now's the time for you to make your decision. As the music plays, you make a decision for Jesus Christ. You know you need forgiveness. You can come forward. Some of you, you made that decision somewhere in your life, but you know you're not living. You know you're not living with the risen Lord. You're a prodigal. Today's your day to come home. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is risen for you. That's what you're saying this morning. You're saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in what you did upon the cross. And so I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer to receive him now, to receive his forgiveness, to ask him to give you brand new life. And I want you to expect something from him because he's God. And because what he did is real. I want you to expect the condemnation to be gone. I want you to expect the shame to be gone. I want you to expect to see things in a brand new way. I want you to be able to forgive people like you've never forgiven them before. This is what happens when Jesus Christ comes into your life. If you're bound in addiction, He's going to set you free. That's just what He does. That's just who He is. But you've got to believe. And by being up here, you're saying, I believe. And you can just repeat this prayer in your heart right now. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are the Lord and Savior of the world. I believe, Jesus, that you gave your life to pay the price on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and the devil. And I'm here today saying, Jesus, I want it. I want forgiveness. I want new life. I want freedom. I want to experience your love. I want to be done with the dirtiness and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. I want to live in your freedom and your love. And I want the promise of heaven when I go you hear these prayers Jesus you hear these prayers thank you that at this moment you say yes my child yes I forgive you you are forgiven Jesus come and wash it all away come and heal Holy Spirit come and break those chains come and release that anger come and wash away that dirtiness Come and allow us to forgive others as we've now been forgiven. And Holy Spirit, come and indwell us and make us excited for heaven. And teach us to know Jesus. Show us how to live now with brand new eyes and a brand new heart in this brand new life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bible says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing over you.